0: Last week, we began this new series called Grow, and we're talking about how faith grows and why God wants to see our faith grow. And we said having big faith is really important to God because really, faith is the key to every strong and every healthy relationship, whether that's in a marriage or if it's between a parent and child, even in a friendship. And it's especially true in our relationship with our Heavenly Father because there's a very significant aspect of faith that oftentimes we overlook in our relationship with God. And that's this idea of faith as an expression of trust or confidence, because as our confidence in God grows, our intimacy with God grows. As our trust in God grows, our faith gets bigger. And see, that's why our heavenly father wants our faith to grow. Now, last week we also said that there are four dynamics really that show up in the lives of people who have big, deep faith. And they're simply this being with Jesus, believing Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and doing what Jesus did. And we said that these four dynamics, they're present at every age and stage of life, but they look and they feel different at those different stages. And so today, as we continue together, I want us to look at and talk about another aspect of all this. And I want us to talk about the primary way in which you and I experience these four dynamics. And in order to do that, I need to ask you to answer one of the following two questions. And this is just for you right now. You don't have to share uh, your answer to this. Um, This is is simply for you now. It might make for some good discussion uh, with your family and with your small group afterwards, but you can keep it to yourself if you want. The first question is simply this. I want you to, to name someone that you feel like God used in a relationship with you to grow your faith bigger or stronger. Now, I prefer that you not mention a family member. If you need to, that's fine. But when you look back on your life, who is it that you feel like God brought into your life? And as a result of your relationship with that person, you feel like your faith in God grew. I want you to think about who that would be. Now, the second question is for all of you who would say, okay, I don't know that I can even really answer that first question because I, I don't really have a relationship with God. the truth is I'm only watching um, today because somebody asked me to. Or maybe you would say that you believe there is a God, but you're not sure that you know, he's a personal God. You're not sure that you would say that you trust him or certainly that you have much confidence in him. And if that's you, again, I'm, I'm thrilled that you're with us today. And what you need to know is that you're always welcome. You don't have to believe everything that that I believe or everything that we believe about Jesus to be welcome here. I'm just glad that you're watching and I I hope that we can help you. I hope that we can help your family however, however we possibly can. And so here's the question I would like for you to answer if you wouldn't mind. Who is it that's in your life that you have a relationship with that possibly, possibly God has used to cause you to have an interest in the subject of faith or to re-examine the idea of faith or to re-examine your thoughts about God. Now, again, I get it if you're not there yet. In fact, you may not even think God has anything to do with any of this, and I understand that. But who is it in your life that you have a relationship with? And because of that relationship, you have a new interest or you've become curious about the subject of faith. So two different questions for two different groups of people. But all of us, we fall into one of those two groups. I just want you to get uh, that person or maybe persons in your mind for a moment. Because see, if I were to answer that question for you, there's a number of people that I could talk about, but there are two guys that I would have to talk about. The first was a guy by the name of Byron Porsche. Some of you will remember Byron. Byron was on staff here at Faith for about 10 years back in the 90s. And um, when I met Byron, I was 19 years old. I was in my second year at Wayne State University. And what Byron did for me and what he did for so many people was to show us that faith was more than just a bunch of Bible stories. That faith was about a Savior who was actively involved in daily life. That faith was about experiencing what God was doing in your life even when you couldn't see that God was doing anything in your life. Faith wasn't something for people who have life all figured out, that faith is actually for all of us who are still trying to figure life out. And see, for me, my faith began to look different and my faith grew because of my relationship with Byron. Now, the second person is a guy by the name of Jim Burns, and Jim came into my life in a very random and a very unexpected way. I'll have to tell you that story some other time, but Jim lives in California, And the fact that God even brought him into my life, I mean, when I look back on this now, um, it's really remarkable to me because it's a relationship that I would have never expected. And God brought Jim into my life at a very low point in my life. In fact, it was a time when I was really questioning a lot of things. And in many ways, I had actually lost a part of my faith and a part of my identity. And for some reason, Jim took an interest in me. And he helped me through a very difficult season of my life. God used him in a powerful way to help rescue an element of my identity and my faith. And I'll be forever grateful to him for that. And see, from my perspective, when I look back on both these relationships, it's as if God used both of these people to intersect my life at a very critical time. Now, the truth is, I did have a part in that. Because see, I could have said no to Byron. I could have said, listen, I don't have time to help you. I've got classes. I've got a job. I've got a bunch of my own stuff going on. I could have said no to Jim. Jim, I don't really need your help. After all, I'm a guy, right? And so I'm just going to figure out, you know, my own issues by myself. So I had a part in it. It's not like God, you know, forced his way into my life. But when I look back on both of those relationships, by the grace of God, see, I didn't resist what what it was that God was trying to accomplish in me through them. And and these two men, um, they shaped and they, in many ways, helped to rescue my faith. They shaped my view of God. They they shaped my understanding of what it means to follow Jesus. They shaped my view of the world. And, And they helped me to understand how the truth of God connects into real, everyday life and and even though i don't know your story see here's what i'd be willing to bet is true about your story i bet your story isn't that in isolation and on my own i discovered god that i grew in my faith that i started believing in jesus becoming like jesus and following jesus and doing what jesus did completely on my own and none of it had anything to do with anyone else in my life i've never heard that story Instead, whenever I hear someone's faith story, I always hear about relationships. And sometimes it's a conversation, but the truth is usually it's a series of conversations. And for some of us, we would even say, you know what? It wasn't really anything that anyone said. It was just their life. I just watched them live their life. I just watched them do marriage. I just saw the way they made their family work. I saw them live out a completely different set of values than than anything I had ever seen before. And God used that relationship to grow my faith. Now, the opposite is also true. Because see, the other question I could ask you to answer today that might be a little bit awkward is this. Has there ever been anyone in your life that you look back on and you realize that relationship, it actually undermined your faith in God? Have there any relationships that you look back on in your past and you realize that they just kind of took the legs out from underneath your faith? A phone call maybe you wish you never returned. A text message that you wish you never responded to. An invitation that you now wish you ignored. In fact, if we're really honest, for many of us, the habits that we struggle with and that we have such a hard time breaking, they were probably introduced through a relationship. Why? Why? Because relationships are powerful, powerful things. And the reason why none of us has to think very long to come up with an answer to that final question is because in all of our relationships, it is easy to drift. And we naturally drift away from everything that is good. Have you noticed that? I mean, you rarely drift in a good direction personally. You rarely drift in a good direction in terms of your health. You rarely drift in a good direction in terms of your finances in, in any category, right? Exercise, diet, relationships, marriage, any of those, we, we naturally drift away from anything that is good for us. And see, on top of all that, every single day, you and I, we experience circumstances and events that try to make us think that maybe God isn't in control. Maybe I can't trust God. Maybe God isn't faithful. And so again, think about this. In every area of life that's important, whether you're trying to have a healthy marriage, a healthy relationship with your kids, overcome bitterness and anger and grief, or pursue a relationship with God in a world that's not going to facilitate a relationship with God, in every area of life that's important, it is always upstream, isn't it? And see, that's why one of the foundational truths about following Jesus, in fact, this truth is so central to everything that we do as a church, it's a key part of our vision to bring Jesus into every relationship. One of the foundational truths about following Jesus is that we have not been called to follow alone. Instead, we are called to follow together. That is the power of relationships. And see, the amazing thing is this isn't new. I mean, this isn't like a 21st century thing. It's not even a COVID thing. I mean, the first century, when the church began, the New Testament authors, they addressed this. And in the document that we know as the book of Hebrews, we find something that speaks directly to the significance of our relationships and their connection to a faith that grows. I want you to take out your Bibles, open them up to the book of Hebrews chapter 3. This is what the author of the book of Hebrews says to us beginning in verse 12. He says, See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Now, i got to ask you another question. I mean, who in their right mind would turn away from the living God? I mean, who in their right mind would know the difference between right and wrong and know that God wants you to do right and then just choose to do what is wrong? I mean, who in the world would do that, right? See, I'm not going to ask you to to raise your hand. But again, the, the point is this, right? Don't miss this. The author is saying, look, see to it that none of you who are brothers and sisters, that is followers of Jesus. Now, you may not be a follower of Jesus, and that's fine. There's, there's something in here for you too, and we're gonna get to that in just a moment. But this is specifically written to those of us who are followers of Jesus. The author says, see to it that none of you have an unbelieving, sinful heart that turns away. Right, in other words, the author is recognizing the fact that you and I, that we have the capacity Regardless of what we believe, regardless of how long we've believed it, each of us has the capacity to turn away from the living God. Now, again, if you're not a follower of Jesus, this is this is incredibly important because this is an area where you have a legitimate gripe with many of us. In fact, this is an area where you have every right in the world because of what we say we believe. Because we say we believe in the God who created everything and we say this God who created everything has communicated to us through Jesus. And this God who has communicated to us, he has asked us to do specific things like forgive and be generous and be compassionate. And so when you catch us not doing those things, you have every reason in the world to gripe and complain because again, who in their right mind, if we really think about it, who would say no to the living God? And yet the truth is in our own ways, every single one of us have done that. In fact, maybe the reason you've been out of church for so long, or maybe the reason you've come back to to church for the first time in a long time is because you've just gone through a season of your life where you would say, okay, I didn't think about it in those terms. Maybe I, I didn't use those words, but that is exactly what I did. Everything was going great. And then I turned my back on God. Why? I mean, why do we do that in college? Why do we do that when we feel pressure and anxiety? Why do we do that after a series of disappointments? I mean, why in the world do we do that after a, a series of events that are going great? And see, the interesting thing is, in this verse, we actually find the solution. Because this verse is not an individual command, right? This is for everybody. Notice the plurals. He says, see to it, brothers and sisters, right? This is, he's talking to a group that, that none of you, plural, has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. In other words, here's what the author is saying. You need to be connected relationally to other followers of Jesus. See, this isn't just about me making sure Joe doesn't have a sinful, unbelieving heart. This is plural. This is a group thing. Because again, don't miss this. When a person turns away from God, that turn, it begins in the heart, doesn't it? The, the turn away from God, it always begins in our own hearts. See, this is why this is so important. Because when we begin to turn away from God and when we begin to, to lose interest, when we begin the, to drift, that drift always begins within. It begins with the temptation. It begins with a doubt. It begins with a question. The drift always begins within. And nobody knows unless somebody is in relationship with you. Nobody knows unless somebody has access to you. And see, that access to you and to your heart is only going to happen in a relationship. Now, in my world, see, I am constantly reminded of this. Because in my world, I get phone calls that that sound like this. Here's what's going on with my wife. right? Here's what's going on with my husband. Here's what's going on with my son or my daughter. And nobody else knows. Can you help us? Right? Somebody calls the church and they're looking for help for someone that they love, someone who means the world to them. And I'm talking on the phone to someone who is trying desperately to help this person that they love. And invariably, the question I always end up asking is, is what other people, who at the church are these people connected to? Is this person connected to? And see, many times after I ask that question, the phone just goes silent. And when that happens, almost without exception, the answer is no one. No one. They're not connected to anyone because otherwise they would not be calling the church, right? Because the church, the real church, is not someone sitting in an office someplace. And please hear me about this. We absolutely welcome all of those calls, right? But here's the problem the office church can express concern and compassion immediately but what you need most when you're in those situations is not simply concern and compassion what you need is relationship and the problem with relationships is that relationships they take time in fact this is what makes relationships so tricky in many ways they are exactly like retirement savings when you need them the most that is the absolute worst time to begin thinking about them. If you haven't developed a plan to have them, then they're not gonna be there when you need them. And so this is why the author continues in verse 13, and he says, but encourage one another. And again, notice this is a command. And see, the word that's translated here is the word encourage. It doesn't mean, you know, way to go or, or good job or, you know, you know, high five. It doesn't mean that. Instead, what it means is, is to appeal to or to exhort or to strongly urge. He's saying, listen, I want you to be in each other's lives. I want you to know what's going on with someone else. And I want someone else to able to, to notice to be there when, when you begin to drift. So that a wife never has to struggle alone. So that a husband never has to struggle alone. So that teenagers, students, and parents, they never have to struggle alone. He says, I want you to be in in each other's lives in such a way that when something begins to go astray, when somebody begins to drift, when the drift that begins from within, someone is there to notice that and they have access and they have permission to say something. And see one of the things that's been almost you know simultaneously uh, something that has made me almost simultaneously both proud and yet heartbroken at the very same time has developed in our current situation as all of us are living um, with COVID-19 and that's the the fact of how this situation in our lives and in our world has brought the incredible importance of both relational health and mental health to the forefront of many of our lives it's made me proud because i have seen literally hundreds and hundreds of pictures of people that have shown up at birthday parades and baby shower parades graduation parades even welcome home from the hospital parades all to remind people in every age and stage of life that they are cared for and that they are valuable but at the very same time this past week I received an anonymous five-page letter from an individual that, that was utterly heartbreaking. It wasn't angry. It wasn't condemning. It was heartbreaking. Now she's not a part of our church and I have no idea how exactly she found me, but in this letter she detailed the struggle that she's had and that so many other people have in our world dealing with mental illness through the course of her life. She details the in this letter the loneliness that she's experienced, the emptiness of being alone, the rejection, the fear, the isolation, the embarrassment, the stigma, the desire to fit, and the weariness that comes with trying over and over and over. And if by some miracle the person who wrote that letter to me this past week, if you're watching right now, I can't promise you that I can heal your broken heart, but I can promise we will point you to the one who can, and we will do everything in our power to love you the way Jesus loves you and the way Jesus has loved us because you are valuable and your life is so valuable to us And especially to Jesus. And see, this is why the author of this verse, don't miss this. This is why the author commands us. Encourage one another. How often? Daily. Daily. And the context here is not once every 24 hours, but day after day after day. This is to be an ongoing thing. Not a once in a lifetime thing. This is a relational thing. It's about you having access to people and someone having access to you. The author says, encourage each other daily as long as it is called today. In other words, as long as you're alive, as long as you live in a world that is struggling with death, disease, sorrow, and pain, you need to be in someone else's life and someone needs to be in your life. Why? Listen to what he says. So that... Right? In other words, here's what he wants all of us to avoid. He says, So that you, none of you may be deceived by sin's deceitfulness, that you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Now, this idea of sin's deceitfulness, this is so interesting because all the New Testament authors, especially the Apostle Paul, they all personify sin, meaning that they talk about sin as if sin is an entity, as if it's an active living creature inside of us, which is so interesting because that is exactly how we experience it. And understanding sin in this way is very helpful because normally we think of sin as an activity, as something that I do. But see, the author of Hebrews, along with the Apostle Paul, says, no, it is deeper than that. There is sin residing in you. And the problem with sin residing in you and residing in me is that it deceives us. And the way that we experience that isn't, you know, like this little voice that we hear, where it's like, okay, who just said that? That would be easy. No, the way that we experience the the deceitfulness of sin is that it convinces us to do dumb things. We deceive ourselves. We begin this soft self talk, right? That, that sounds like, okay, you know what? The truth is, I deserve it right? They practically forced me to do this. I mean, I almost don't have any choice. I mean, who in the world would blame me? I mean, if they really knew what was going on. And see, before long, what happens is we start believing the dumb things that we tell ourselves, don't we? And this is what the author of this text is saying. He's saying, listen, the best defense against the deceitfulness of sin, the best defense against talking ourselves into dumb things is not you, The best defense is not me. The best defense is a we. Your best defense against the the things that you, the dumb things that you and I have a tendency to tell ourselves, that's not you. It's we. And see, most of us, most of us have lived long enough to know that this is absolutely the case, that a we is the best defense against the deceitfulness of sin in me. And see, this is the power of being in relationship. And this is why God uses relationship to grow big faith. But if you wait until you feel the need for it, it'll be too late. Now, the flip side is this. See, you may not need to be intentional about getting to a place where you invite other people to speak into your life because you may already be doing that. In fact, the truth is, for some of you, um, this is easy because it just comes naturally to you. But see, for some of us, the issue is, are you willing to be available to God to be that person in someone else's life? And let me tell you what I mean. See, for some of you, just about every single night when you pray, you find yourself praying for someone who needs God or who needs something in their life, someone who needs to know Jesus as their savior. And it's not that you think that you're any better than they are. It's not that, that you're being judgmental. It's simply that you know and you care about this person and their circumstances that they break your heart. And see, when you think about them, you're concerned for them. You're concerned about the relationship they're in. You're concerned about the direction they're going. You're concerned uh, about the way they talk about their marriage. You're concerned about the fact that they never talk about their marriage. You listen to them at work. You listen to them in your neighborhood. And and, and your heart, it literally hurts for them. See, let me say something else about relationships, and then we're done. Some of the most life-changing relationships start with someone having the courage to begin a conversation that sounds like this. Listen, I know this is awkward, but see, I just can't sit back and watch. I can't just sit back and pray. I I can't just sit back and be concerned. Some of you need to trust the leading the Holy Spirit is giving you to gently and humbly put yourself out there a little. Why? Because our Heavenly Father uses our relationships to grow other people's faith in Him. And see, I want you to have the experience of being a part of that. In fact, one of the many wishes that I have for all of you is that I want you to be the person that someone says God put in their life and who God used in a life-changing relationship. My wish for all of you is that at some point in your life, when we can all gather again together publicly, I wish for every single one of you that one day that you would get to stand up front during worship and stand next to someone else during their baptism. Someone you prayed for. Someone you invested in. Someone that you stayed up late talking to. I want you to stand up front and when they're baptized for the tears to run down your face because you realize that God allowed you to have a part of what he was doing in someone else's life and when that happens you will have experienced God using you in an incredible way that is the power of not only being in but also investing in relationships I want you to be in relationship with other people so that you can invite them into relationship with Jesus. And this doesn't mean that your life has to be perfect or that you have all the the answers to all the questions. I mean, I don't, right? None of us does. That's not it. Instead, this is simply about bringing all of our brokenness and all of our hurt, all of our disappointment and all of our pain to God saying, Heavenly Father, If you can use any of this in the life of another person, Father, please use it for your glory. Use my imperfect life to impact someone's eternal life. See, I want that for you. I wish that for all of you. One of the biggest needs that we have at Faith right now is that we need more people who are willing to help lead relationally. And if you feel like the Holy Spirit is leading you to grow in your faith in this way, please contact me. Because you know what's going to happen to your faith when you step out relationally like that? Your faith will grow. Let me pray for you today. Heavenly Father, thank you so much. Thank you, Father, for the For the men and the women that you have put into my life that have impacted my faith over years for 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 byron for jim for so many other people that you have used to encourage me and to bring me back from the drift when i have begun to drift away and father i pray for all of us i pray father that uh, we would not only have other people who are speaking into our lives But, Father, that every single one of us would be also looking for those opportunities where we can speak into someone else's life, not to have all the answers, but to simply point them to the one who does. Father, I pray as a church that we would always be looking for ways that we can invest in the lives of other people so that, Jesus, we can invite other people to experience who you are as their Lord and as their Savior. We pray all of this in your name, Jesus. Amen.